Have you ever wondered who is doing the research that will impact your future? The Research Made Possible podcast lets you meet those people and learn how research at the University of Kentucky is changing what's possible in Kentucky and beyond. Here's Aaron Wiki from Research Communications. Today we meet Lanisha Connor, assistant professor in the UK College of Social Work. In 2022, Connor received NIH funding for her research from the UK Building Interdisciplinary Research Careers in Women's Health Program. In this podcast, she talks about her research that is centered on improving scientific knowledge about HIV prevention for older Black women. When I was in graduate school, I was doing my master's in social work, and one of my instructors told me I had really good questions. And I had not thought a lot about it, and I was working full-time, doing a part-time program, so it took me three years. And I didn't really think I had time, you know, when you think about research, but uh, he definitely saw something in me. He just saw that, you know, I had questions that needed answers, and then, you know, he helped me see how to develop questions, like very, very early. But he always said, man, he's like, you know, you just keep having them. I said, I have more questions than I have answers. And he said, you you know, you should think about getting your Ph.D. And so I think during the end of my program, I was working for a nonprofit, doing a lot of community-based work and working with older adults. I'm a gerontologist by training. And a lot of things I was seeing in the field you know, I would incorporate into my classwork. So I had tons of case study material and whatnot. And this is where my interest in HIV and aging, that intersection really began because I did have a very small number of older people who were living in the community that were HIV positive or they had been diagnosed with AIDS, but they were still living and thriving and I was interacting with them. And I had one particular client, you know, I went to see her and you know, custom to me, you know, when I leave, I give them a hug. You know, you just get to be in people's lives and their homes and whatnot. So anyhow, you know, I left and I was walking down the steps to my car and she was on her porch just, you know, watching me. And I looked back and I, I thought maybe I had forgotten something. I said, what's wrong? And she said, people don't touch me anymore. So then when, you know, I'm driving to my class, I'm like, well, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> and... You know, because my great-grandmother raised me. My my parents were teen parents, and so I had a lot of early exposure to aging and just the beauty of this other perspective of life. And so I'm probably an old soul also because of that. But there's just some beauty in, in the wisdom of that age group. Everything I wrote during the rest of my program, I really centered it around some facet of aging. Everything gets older. We get older day by day. And even if we don't think about it, we are there. And that really, it just never left me. And I just made it my business and um, and really wanted to understand. If you say AIDS to someone who's 65 and older, they will think about 1980s AIDS, meaning it was a white gay male disease. And then you have the crack cocaine epidemic, you have a lot of different populations, and then you have this thing about high-risk behavior. And so HIV came onto the scene, and people still stereotyped it to certain demographics. With older adults, they still use drugs. They're still sexually active. They are still survivors of assault. They still experience trauma. So all the high-risk behaviors that happen, they're not exempt from it. But we haven't focused on them for a couple of reasons. 
We don't talk about health. We don't talk about their history and what they were taught. We don't talk about culture. We don't talk about the sociocultural effect that, you know, just living all these decades has had on the choices that they make. Even working in the community and, you know, going in and out of different communities and seeing, you know, needles on the ground or not seeing anything at all because some trauma is not apparent and visible. That really raised my awareness that these things are happening. So while I was working in Atlanta and I was still finishing up my master's, I had a client who was living in her home by herself. Um, I would see her every other month and I would do calls in between. And in short, the uh, Georgia State had some nurses that were going in just like an internship and I received their notes. And as as I was reading, one of them was writing about her daughter being there in police what had happened, she had been sexually assaulted and uh, and beat in her home. And there was someone coming down the street, and when she went to the door, she couldn't lock it. So they forced her way in. So, like, she had um, different types of injuries, but, you know, she had been raped, and she was almost 80. So um, I had a couple of thoughts, probably a few thousand. <laughs> but um, I was really disturbed that I had spoken with her after that happened, and she hadn't said anything. And so then I felt like, you know, how did I fail? What did I not say? You know, I don't know how you can probe something like that. So there's a lot of layers to it. And so when I went out to the home, the daughter was there and, you know, they were talking about things. But, you know, I could still see her bruised face. And that really illuminated to me that, you know, we got to talk about these things more. We have to make it more normal. When you talk about HIV, it's not just individual behavior. And we put a lot of onus on a single person. We say you should be able to uh, use discernment and make good decisions or use a condom or get tested and think about knowing your status. Older people aren't necessarily thinking about that. And as my research has developed over time, I've really grown to look at reproductive health history and how people were conditioned about how to be, what is acceptable, how we talk about things, hygiene practices. But then also, you know, the environment in which we live dictates what we do. And so when you aren't exposed to certain things, then you don't have advantage like other people do. So part of the work I'm doing right now, um, I'm developing an intervention. I'm actually refining it to really pay attention to those social cues that are important to older black women. I'm starting with that group first and really making the intervention center around them where they see themselves, they hear themselves And, you know, to see if this stuff works. And I will say I've been met with questions that question what I'm doing. They say, well, if these interventions work, why don't you just do them with the older population? And that shortchanges it, you know, and that shows me how short-sighted as scientists we are, that we feel just because we show that it works with one group, it's not necessarily efficacious with another. And we have to do our due diligence through research and working with the community and engaging with them to make it fit for them. So I think at times I'm judged more critically because of what I'm looking at. And um, definitely when I talk about reproductive health, if you look at our history in this country with medical discrimination and eugenics and forced sterilization, things that have adversely affected certain populations of now older women, even though people think it's interesting, it still comes under fire. It's like, well, you know, why are you looking at that? And, and, And coming back to that initial part of this country has a lot of stuff 
And there's no way you can talk about health and outcomes and not address the things that lay the foundation for people's health and for their outcome. I think, you know, with HIV, we're very progressive with PrEP. We have seen rates stabilize in certain groups, and that's what we want. We have seen decreased incidence in certain groups, but certain numbers are growing. And in older black women, 50 and older, the numbers are going up. And so what that tells me is after almost five decades of dealing with this disease, we still are not asking the right question for certain groups. In addition to her work on HIV and aging, Connor was recently recognized for her research achievements on the interaction between Black faculty and Black administrators by the Society for Social Work and Research. When we were talking about um, anti-racism work, sometimes it's not just about examining you know, people who may not, who may be for or against a certain thought. It's, you know, focusing on within group experiences. The study that we led a couple of years ago was focused on looking at within group experiences. So black faculty in higher education specifically who have black administrators. And we felt like this was important because uh, when you talk about mentorship and you talk about supports, we don't really know what's out there collectively. Because of personal experiences that myself and a couple of my co-authors had, we felt like it was a, an important area to look at. If you look at the numbers across you know, different types of institutions, we're not on par with student population and then representation in faculty and staff. We asked Black faculty what their leadership looked like um, in terms of supports. We got formal supports that were provided by the university or their departments. We also got informal supports, but we kind of got to some insights about the things that make it work. And we felt like this is really the beginning of other work to look at black administrators, because oftentimes if you're successful, just in your position, people want you to move up and take a leadership role. So how prepared are we to do that? We had, you know, really good conversation with a couple of people when we did this study, just reflecting on their experiences. But the institution itself, you know, of higher education was not developed with any person of color in mind. So um, the article gives history as to why we began to see an increase in black administrators. And so then where are the, where are the supports for this group? Connor also encourages students to consider research and careers aimed at preventing HIV in older adults and ending stigmas around the disease. I would love if more freshmen um, would think about a career in any facet of, of aging, whether it's in medicine, if it's social, um, human services, any front-facing job working with someone who is aging. And we all are, to be honest. You have a lot of intergenerational pieces, and so either you have grandparents helping raise grandkids, and you have older parents uh, just people who waited later in life or by any other circumstance have children in their life and they're considerably older, thinking about the legacy that people who are older leave for us, what we can learn from them, the wealth of knowledge, the peace that comes from it, and um, the appreciation for life. I think it's really unfortunate when people don't understand how much you can enjoy life. But if you work with older adults, that's all they do. They spend so much time in reflection, so much time in, in this narrative, you know, like just telling stories about what happened and reminiscing. Thank you for listening to the Research Made Possible podcast. 
To subscribe to our podcasts on SoundCloud or iTunes, search University of Kentucky Research Media and click News on our site, research.uky.edu.